that in your life you have never gone through a fire. You have never been pressed. You've done everything in your life so absolutely right that God has never had to adjust your way of living. Is there anybody in here like that? Oh, so then I'm in good company. I'm in good company this morning, right, Gregory? I'm in good company. How many have been through the fire in this room? Raise your hand. How many have enjoyed that fire? How many have in this room, and you'll understand what I mean by fire in just a moment. How many in, in this room or even watching online, I can't see you raising your hand, but you can put a little whatever symbol or emoji or whatever they call it. But how many in this room or watching online can say this, can say, you know what? It's been really easy for me. I've recognized when it's the fire of God, and I've recognized when it's the fire of stupidity. How many know the difference? Do we know the difference? Then maybe you need to teach this morning. Because I can't tell you how many times I've gotten into it and I thought, this is the fire of God, only to find out this was the fire of stupidity. And then there were other times I thought, man, I gotten in, I've gotten into this thing just because of my whatever, my own reasoning. And at the end of the day, at the end of the process, I found out this was the hand of God. This was the hand of God. So what did I learn by that? I'll tell you right off the bat what I learned that enabled me to be able to get through these moments and to process them. I learned that it's not up to me to decide when the fire comes. Is this me or is this God? At the end of the day, what I'm going to trust and believe is that if it isn't God, He'll show me when I need to know. If it is God, He'll show me when I need to know. One thing I know about every fire is the day comes when it is quenched. Every fire. Yesterday, I was on my land, and I was out there, we're building a house, and I was out there on the land, and I was burning, and I had this wood, all the wood that was here at the property. A.J. Uh, carried it all out to our land. I told him, I said, A.J., first of all, I didn't know we had three dump trucks loads of <laughs> firewood out here. But he, um, I told him, I said, listen, when you get a chance, just take that wood out to my property, and, and I'll burn it all one day when I'm burning mine. So I went out there yesterday, and we've had enough rain where I could burn, and and I get out there and I see this mound of wood that has come from the church property where trees have fallen and everything. There's this mound of wood. It's taller than me. It's, it's massive. It's huge. And I thought, man, it's going to take a long time to burn this. But, you know, I like fire. I enjoy it. I like lighting matches and setting, I like setting things on fire. <laughs> like that white Tesla that's right out there. I see it right now with a flame. No, I'm just kidding. But I took my little lighter and I went out there and I said, you know what, I'm going to start this really simple. And I went to Chick-fil-A and there were some subcontractors working on the house. So I went to them and I said, would you all like lunch? And they said, sure. So I said, I'll go get you some Chick-fil-A. You know, what you don't do is ask somebody, would you like lunch? And then ask them where. Yeah. Yeah. Determine what your budget is before you ask. I had a Chick-fil-A budget yesterday. So I said, would you all like lunch? Sure. And I said, what would you like? They told me. I went and I picked up Chick-fil-A. So when I got back, I had a little my Chick-fil-A bag and my little... Uh, receipt and everything, and, and it, mine was eaten. I gave them theirs, and I walked out there, and I just crammed that bag underneath. I put a little pile of wood in there, and I crammed the bag under there, and I lit that bag, and pff, man, this stuff is so dry. The little pile I put on there it immediately just caught flame and had me a nice little fire going. I'm looking at this massive pile that AJ delivered to me and gave me as a gift, and I went over there, and I started grabbing all this stuff, and I would throw it on a little time, 
throw it on a little at a time. Well, there's, there's trees that surround this burn pit that I have at, at my house. And there's trees that do surround it, but they're far enough away where I've never had to worry about it before. But there's one oak that has a limb that sticks out, and it's kind of crooked like this. And in the crease of that oak, this limb is dead. It's as dry as corn shucks. And it's just hanging out there like this here. And it's about 30 feet in the air. You can see it, and I just keep thinking at any moment, it's going to fall and crash to the ground. But it hasn't. So I'm out there burning. My wife comes. My kids come. We're out there for a few minutes, and then they leave. And I'm taking more stuff, and I'm throwing it. Man, I'm getting more and more confident with this fire. Ah, well, if that fire is good, a bigger fire is better. <laughs> I grabbed a big log he had on there, and I threw that log on there, and ash went, you know, all through the air. I grabbed some more stuff, and I threw it on there. It was controllable. I, I was under, I mean, I had, I had everything under control. I say that as a police officer is sitting right over here, Zach, taking notes. Yeah, I'm, you wait till I call the county tomorrow. He wouldn't do that to me. Thank you, Zach. You wouldn't do that to me, would you? Okay, all right. So I noticed I ran up to the house to speak to someone, and I came back, and I noticed as I'm looking at my fire burning, and it's, and it's really just perfect. At this point, it's just perfect. But I, I'm in the, out of the, just my peripheral vision, I see this smoke going up high, way high, from the kind of the left side. And I look up in there, in the crook of that tree, man, I got me a little flame. First of all, there's two problems here. Man, I should never say what I'm about to say. Don't do this at home. Let me say that. I don't have a water hose long enough to get to my water supply and reach this fire pit. That's bad number one. Bad number one. My rake and my shovel is being used by the subcontractors up by the house. Bad number two. Steve is hovering over a fire in 94 degree heat, watching as I got me a little flame beginning to start on this dead branch that's 30 feet in the air. I can't reach it. My mind, I'm thinking, I don't have a hose. I can't get to it with a shovel. So what do I do? No, I didn't climb the tree. Are you kidding? <laughs> In fact, I never even considered that, and I'm glad I did. Now, I go over, and I grab a chunk of stump that is <clears throat> enough where I felt like it was heavy enough where it could knock that branch down if I hit it, but it's light enough where I felt like I could throw it 30 feet in the air. So I grab that thing, man, I'm lining up, and I've got this thing. My wife doesn't even know this yet. I haven't even told her this part of the story. My back was hurting real bad last night. This is part, part, part of the reason. I'm swinging that thing, and I'm trying to line up, and I... And I missed that thing by an inch. But it was over. I wasn't throwing anything else. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I watched, and, and thank you, Father, because that fire began to dwindle, and it went out, and I watched the little flame go to nothing. The smoke was still there. I stood there for about another hour. I didn't stand there, but I walked, worked around. And then it finally went out, and then we had a heavy dose of rain. Everything was taken care of. Here's the cool thing. Here's the amazing thing about that. My house didn't burn down. That's amazing. <laughs> but here's the crazy thing about it. Fire is always going to find the place with the least resistance. And when it finds the place with the least resistance, it will do what it was sent to do with ease. But if you try to start a fire in a place 
where there's a lot of resistance, wet wood, moss, anything that has nothing flammable in it, you just try to set fire to a piece of steel, you, forget it. You can if you get it to the right temperature, but fire is always going to find, where's the least resistance? Where can I root myself in and do my, do my work? The easiest. That's one thing. We're going to talk about it in a second. But then the other thing was when I threw that stump at that tree branch, it was hanging out up there. It's about eight feet long, not the thing I threw, but the branch. When I threw it at it, and I missed it by an inch. I thought, you know, I was trying to put that fire out, and I missed that thing by an inch. It didn't matter. I could have been a mile away. It didn't change the outcome. If a fire's meant to burn, just go ahead and let it burn. Don't throw things at it. Now I'm talking about personal. If the fire's burning in you, don't throw things at it. Man, let it do what it's supposed to do because fire purges. Fire sets free. Fire uncovers. Fire delivers. Fire makes a way. Do you hear me this morning? So let's talk about it this morning. Let's talk about it from, these, from this perspective, the forge. How many know what a forge is? Just raise your hand. You know what a forge is. You know what it is to be forged. So forge, there's two different ways you can do this. There's the forge, the noun, and then there's forge, the verb. And I want to give you both of those definitions in just a moment, but I want to say this first. God has a plan, which is called God's choice. If you're following along in the notes, you can see what I, that I have it written down there. God's choice is often very different than our choice. Too often, very different than most people's choices. At the end of the day, what our hope is as believers is that we always align our choices with His choices. Would that be a true statement? That's our hope. That's our desire. So it seems harsh to accept and believe that Yahweh, or God's choice for us, is to put us through a difficult process in order to obtain His intended results. Does He ever do that? Does He do that? How many believe in here that when you were born, in fact, before you were born, He had a plan for you? Yes. How many believe that? No doubt about it. In fact, before there was, there was ever even one cell of flesh on your spirit, your spirit already existed. You know that from a teaching a long time ago, but I'm just going to remind you again today. From the beginning of time, the spirit that dwells in you was. But there came a day that the Father said, on this day, I'm going to wrap flesh around this spirit Give it life so that it can fulfill its purpose in the earth. I want to send it to the earth because the time is now for whomever it might be. Steve, uh, whomever it might be, today, this time is now. So does he do these things? Does he bring to you and me intentional fires? Does he allow us to go through things in our life that are very, very difficult on purpose? How many believe he does? How many believe he doesn't? I absolutely believe He does. And I'm going to explain that to you today. Because what the Father wants from you and me... Don't, well, first of all, don't think for a second that when God puts your flesh on the Spirit, your flesh is wrapped around. Don't think for a second that He thought you were already perfect. Man, masterpiece. He created me with masterpiece. How many think you're a masterpiece? You actually are, but that's another story. But masterpiece, flawless, I can do anything... God created me, nothing, I lack nothing, and yet, you know, we spew out some of these words and some of these statements and what have you, um, 
I, everything I need, I have because God's given it to me. Everything I want, I can obtain because He gives me the desires of my heart. And yet at the same time, we find ourselves often living without the desires of our heart or not receiving all the things that we thought we should get. And we begin to wonder and try to put these pieces together. If He's doing this for me, if He's given me all of these things, then why do, not, why do I not possess them now? And I'm going to tell you the simple, simple answer is this. Because this natural man isn't always ready to receive the things that He wants to give to us the moment we want them. But we can get there. Part of the process of getting to the place where we are prepared to receive the promises and the design, the purpose, the intention that God had when He put flesh on our spirit, part of the process of getting to that place where we are capable of doing what He created us to do is being in the forge. Let's talk about it this morning. So the, the forge noun is a workshop where wrought iron is produced or where iron is made malleable. In other words, where that hard metal is put into a place where it can be formed, it can be manipulated, it can be changed, it can uh, find its place of purity, it can find its place of integrity. That's the noun. The forge is the place where the work happens. To forge, the verb, is to form or bring into being, especially by an expenditure of effort. 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 Now, I do know this. I'm going to read this again in a moment. I do know this. I don't think that there's anybody under the sound of my voice that would ever say to the Father, if you want to make it as easy on me as possible, go ahead. I think we would all probably do that. If you don't want to use a fire on me, I'm okay with that. It's all good. You want to just make me the fullness of who you created me to be right now, I'm good with that. We would do that. But what would that produce? What would that produce? There's a process He wants to put you and me through. There's a process He wants to develop us. And it's not about putting us through. That's a harsh way of putting it. It's more about development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. He wants to develop you and me and bring us to a point where we are not only worthy of His expectation, but capable of fulfilling it. So to forge is to form or bring into being, especially by an expenditure of effort. In 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, it reads like this. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Boy, it takes, it takes a process to get there, doesn't it? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Everybody say that. I've been grieved, I've been grieved. By, various trials. by various trials because the fire is just never pleasant. Let's just be real. 
When's the last time somebody came up to you? I am in the fire and it is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I hope this thing lasts for another year or two. How many, how many people have come running to you? I am in the fire. Get in here with me. It is awesome. Well, isn't it hard and isn't it difficult? Yes, but oh, I love it. The more fire, the better. When? Never. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation of Jesus Christ, how? How is He revealed through you? I want to tell you, when you come out of the fire, there's a revelation of Jesus Christ in your life that is far more visible than it was when you went in. Listen, when the three Hebrew children went into the fire and they stood before Nebuchadnezzar and they were sent into that fire, when they went in to that fire, there was no revelation of who the Father was. There was no, whoo, I'm afraid to throw you in because of what your God might do. There was none of this stuff when they were thrown into the fire. What there was was, we're throwing you into the fire because you're not bowing. Even though, I can't get into the whole story. There was sadness, but there was purpose. So there was nobody saying, don't throw them into the fire because we see the glory of God in their life. Don't throw them into the fire because they have demonstrated their God is real and ours isn't. Don't put them in the fire. But what did they do? They put them in the fire. And then when they were in the fire, what did they do? Did they say, listen, look for the escape hatch. Find a way out. They walked in. Walked in, walked around, stood there. They saw a fourth man in a fire. The guards saw a fourth man in the fire who was Christ. I'm not going to get into the story in full. But they see a fourth man in the fire who is Christ. Who is this man? Who is the fourth one? They're in there having tea with Jesus in the fire. So hot. It kills the guards. When they went into that fire, nobody was saying, these men are the glory of God, don't touch them. These men are a joke. Mean nothing to us. We don't fear their God. Throw them in the fire. But when they came out of that fire, let this proclamation go forth. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is God and there is not another. Because the fire produced a witness in those three men. So he said again in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ that will be revealed in you when you process when you come out of that forge yeah. Yeah. Right. victoriously. Yeah. Verse 8. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. 
Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me read that last part again. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, salvation of your souls. Why? Because you were processed, you were tested, you were put in the forge, you were forged, and you came out with a revelation of Jesus Christ. You came out as a witness those who ignored you going in cannot ignore you coming out. Some of you heard exactly what I just said. Those who have ignored you going in cannot ignore you coming out. Here's the problem though. Here's the thing. When we go into the fire, whether it's our own doing or His doing, we're going to go into it. When you go into a fire... Let the fire pur purge you. Let it process you. If it isn't your doing, He'll take care of that. If it's His doing, He'll take care of that. But I'm going to tell you something. When you're in the middle of the fire, you can do a couple of things. Oh, I hate this thing. I'm going to go to everybody I know and I'm going to tell them I'm in the fire and I hate it. The one thing I hate about being a believer is that it seems like I'm always on fire. I'm always being tested. What I want to do, I don't do. What I want, don't want to do, I do do. I, I do. <laughs> I do. Do. One do. I'm always in this thing. This thing, man, about being a Christian, man, I'm telling you what. Don't you want to know Jesus? Man, you're going to struggle. You're going to have some moments that are really hard and difficult. And you're going to be processing. You're going to be trying to figure it all out. Man, I'm telling you what, it is hard. I'm telling you what, it is hard. I've wanted to give up. Man, I have taken one too many Tylenol because this thing is so hard for me. But don't you want to know Jesus? Anybody hearing me this morning? The way we become the witness when we go through that fire, the way we become the testimony, the way we become that revelation of Jesus Christ functioning, operating, purging, changing, creating in us, it isn't when we're in the fire. It's when we come out. There was no decree made while the Hebrew children were in the fire that their God is God. The decree did not come until they exited the fire. That being in the fire is the season. Say this with me. Being in the fire, in the fire is, the is the season of finding out. out. Uh-oh. Finding out what? What am I made of? Maybe, am I Peter? When I get out on there in the water, man, when I first go into the fire, I'm going in strong. Everybody watch me. Watch how I handle the fire. Woo! Suddenly I look away and realize, oh, I'm in the fire and suddenly I'm getting burnt or I'm sinking in the water. See, the process isn't the testimony. Hear me this morning. 
The process is not the testimony. The testimony and the witness is the exit. I wonder, just hypothetically asking this morning. No, I'm actually asking, but it's a hypothetical question. I wonder, how many, a rhetorical question, how many in here, I wonder, I wonder, have gotten so close to the last moments of the fire they're in, the pressure they're under, and said, I'm out. When we exit the fire early, what happens? Whatever testimony we had going in, if we exit early, is now less than it was when we started. We give up some of the talent and the possibilities that He gave us. I hope you're hearing me this morning. Because I get, I get the joy and the blessing of sitting with people a lot of times that are going through fire. It's a joy. And I get the joy and the blessing of giving a response sometimes that I, I actually enjoy giving. And sometimes they'll say, well, I'm going through this and I'm going through that and I'm going through this. And I get to say, that is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then they'll look at me like, what are you talking about? It's fantastic. Enjoy the process. Don't beat it up. Stay at least 20 feet away from the fire extinguisher. Every time you walk by one, it's like a magnetic attraction. (laughs) There's one over there. You feel a need to, if I could just put this thing out, man, I could be God's glory in the earth. And God's saying, if you put that out, you won't be my glory in the earth. If you hinder me, how will you become what I want you to be? I know this isn't one of those messages that tells everybody when they leave today, hey, man, I just went to church and I left and I felt like, man, everything in my world is perfect because I can tell you it's being perfected, but part of the perfecting part is the process of being in the forge. In a forge, there are many instruments that are used or many tools that are used to begin forming metal into its intended use. There's three things that I'm going to mention today. One is the fire, one is the hammer, and one is the press. And each of these steps are necessary to eliminate whatever deficiencies. How many believe you might have a deficiency or two in your life? It's okay to admit it. Listen, I've got about five that I'm aware of and about 50 my wife is aware of. But each of these is necessary to eliminate whatever deficiencies, whatever weaknesses, whatever inconsistencies that there is in our metal, in our metal, our makeup, our, our person, our life, so that the end product is able to perform at optimal strength. Yes. I've used this analogy before. Well, let, me, let me wait and come back to that analogy. Because without these steps, the metal, ultimately when put under the test, it's going to fail. It's going to give up. Metal that has been incompletely or incorrectly forged or prematurely removed from the fire is going to fail when it's called upon to do and perform what it was intended to perform in its beginning. Many believers today, if we're not careful, when we're called upon to do what we're doing, 
will be incapable of fulfilling the task set before us because we exited the forge prematurely. The fire makes the metal pliable so that you can shape it. So when we come into this thing and we take that metal and we stick it in there, it's, you've seen the big vats where the steel industry, where they melt all that iron down, and it's amazing when you watch. It's, it's incredible to me that this thing that's so hard, I started to say hard as steel, but that's kind of a, that just doesn't fit there. But it's so hard, but it, it, they can pour it, and it's red hot. And when I see that, and I see these guys in these outfits and uniforms, and I'm thinking, man, they realize the intensity of the heat to make that metal, but fire over 2,000 degrees, was heated over 2,000 degrees to melt that metal, to make it pliable and manageable and malleable so that it could be manipulated and turned and beaten, and hammered and shaped. And then the hammer is used to pound out whatever inconsistencies. Once that hot metal is poured into whatever form it's going to be, then they'll use a hammer and they'll begin to beat it. And you've seen it. They'll begin to pound that so that they can pound out whatever might be. And there might be bubbles within that metal. Might be some kind of uh, gap or, or, or crack somewhere. And they pound that together and they cause that still heated metal to begin to merge together in all the right ways so that it can be pounded and, and, and be prepared to be the next step pressed and then once it gets to that place where they've gotten rid of most of the inconsistencies and the, and the bubbles and the fractures and everything that would cause it to remain weak they will take that thing and they will dip it in water and cause it to cool real fast then heat it back up beat it some more dip it in water cool real fast how many you're right there right now you see it you're feeling it right now you are there you're bah! As I'm describing it, you're feeling it. And I said, hit it, and your head's going like this. And then they take it, and they dip it in water, and they let all that stuff harden and crystallize, and they pull it back out, and they heat it up, and beat it, beat it, beat it, beat it, beat it, beat it. And some of you right now are like, mm, 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 because you know. Man, you know. Lord, have mercy, you know. I need to say to the Father, how many inconsistencies do I have in my life? Are there really that many air bubbles? I started to be joking, but I better not do that. Are there, is there really that much in me that needs to be pounded out? And about that time, it's like this. Is there really that much in me that needs to be... <laughs> Your head's spinning. You're about to say, oh, thank you. <laughs> so while that fire is making us malleable and pliable and workable and manipulated, able to manipulate and change and, and move and, 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 and possible so that the hammer can do its work. What you don't know, Em, is that there's a piece of metal right over here that needs to be meshed into this piece of metal right here so it can tie and bond and bind together this thing that I'm making you, making of you, so that you're strong. So I'm going to take that hammer and I'm going to keep beating until this molecule becomes one with this molecule. Then I'm going to dip it in water and I'm going to cool it off and say, stay put. And just in case it moved, I'm going to do it again. And then the press is used to form the metal into the tool hoped for by its designer. That's the moment. Man, that's the moment. 
you go through that fire. You're melted down. Everything you thought you were, you just find yourself. You look in the mirror and you just see yourself. You're just kind of melting. Feeling like, do I have purpose? I've lost all hope. Should I go to work today? Should I keep pressing in? You find yourself feeling, as you look in that mirror, like you're just melting away. All your hopes, all your dreams, all your desires, everything you thought you were supposed to be, you feel yourself melting away and that fire starting. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of that, you're thinking it can't get any worse than this. And then you get hit over the head with a five-pound sledgehammer. But then you keep pressing in. And you just say, you know what, Yahweh? I trust you. I have faith. This is what we've been talking about the last two weeks. Faith isn't saying I believe God. Believing and faith are not the same thing. Believing God, believing in God is to say I know you are. To have faith in God is to say I accept whatever answer you give me even if I don't understand it. So when he begins to continue that process and we're getting the we're being melted and we're being hammered and we're being dipped in water and then he puts us in that press. Then we get to the place and we think it's almost over. We're not getting hit over the head with a hammer anymore. But suddenly we're in this thing and, and we see this thing coming at us. And you just hear it clicking as, it, as the gears are rolling. And you see this form in this. You don't know what the form's going to be. You don't know what the shape is. You just know you're about, there's about to be pressure. And just when you thought it could not get any worse, suddenly it's just like, uh, you feel so tight and all this pressure, you just feel like you're about to explode. Everything's going to blow apart. And then moments later, if you endure that press, if you've gone through the fire correctly, and you've been hammered correctly, when he separates the mold that just pressed you into whatever beautiful thing he intended you to be, In the middle of all of that pressure, if you've endured the fire, you've endured the hammer, and now you're in that press when he opens that thing up and suddenly he reaches in and he grabs the sword that you are and he holds you up and suddenly it's this beautiful thing capable of doing everything that he made it to be. Suddenly there's a revelation. Christ is at work in me and he is completing that work in me. He is doing something amazing in me and I'm going to change the world because of what he's made me. When we can get that, come on, I'll give you double. When we can get that, and we can allow Him to do that work in us. One of the examples that I've used many, many times, I'm going to use it again today. I hope I don't bore you with the example, but many of you know it, and right now we're in a situation where uh, we're all aware again of the Titanic because of the catastrophe, the tragedy that just took place. It's interesting. Archie said something this morning. I thought about the same thing yesterday, but it's interesting that... There's two, it's not funny at all, but there's two ships, two vessels laying two and a half miles down in the Atlantic Ocean that are there for the exact same reason. A hundred and however many years apart. How many years is it? hundred and a lot. hundred and ten or twelve years apart. But the reason the Titanic went down is Likely the same reason that the Ocean's Gate went down. The Titanic went down. They found out years later when they got some of the metal and they pulled some of it up when they discovered it, whenever, 1980, whatever it was. And they pulled some of that metal up. 
What they discovered when they began to analyze that metal was, though, though the process that had been created to make that ship, quote-unquote, indestructible, was effective. What they did was, to get that ship out on a certain date, hurried through the process. So instead of allowing that thing to be hammered as long as it needed to be hammered, heated and cooled and heated again that steel, they rushed it through to get that ship out at a particular time believing a process is a process is a process. Not realizing. There's more to it this time. So they take that metal out of there. When they pull it up, what they found was that the molecules in the Titanic, because it wasn't hammered correctly, long enough, that the molecules were not hammered together. They did not merge. So there were air gaps between all of these molecules that enabled that steel, caused that steel to be weak. In fact, the steel on the Titanic was actually weaker than the normal steel they used on other ships of its time. In here, it was supposed to be stronger. There were probably other ships that could have handled that iceberg better than the Titanic that was supposed to be indestructible. Why? If you rush the process, you will not get the results that the process was intended to produce. Same is true. When I consider the Ocean's Gate, and its hull and the implosion that occurred with that. Once there was a crack, there was no hope for them. It's sad. But once that hull cracked, there was no hope. When you're under that amount of pressure, my wife and I and some of you in here, we dive. We scuba dive. It's amazing the pressure you feel when you get down. You don't even have to go down very far. There's different atmospheres underwater. When you get past 18 feet deep, I don't know if you know this, I'm just going to tell you this for a point of understanding. Those of you that dive, you know what I'm talking about. Whenever you're diving and you're snorkeling and whatever and you dive down seven or eight feet and your ears start popping and you feel all that pressure in your ear and all that and it starts hurting and you have to equalize the pressure, how many know what I'm talking about when you do that? Do you know you only have to do that to 18 feet deep? Once you pass 18 feet deep, you don't ever have to pressurize again. Never. You never have to hold your nose. You never have to blow out. All you got to do is get through 18 feet, that first atmosphere. It's called an atmosphere. Once you get through it, you don't have to do that anymore. But even though you don't have to do that anymore, and here's the interesting thing. Above that 18-foot level, the amount of air that you need in your BCD to float you isn't much. It's not much. But the further down you get past that 18-foot depth, the deeper you go, you're blowing a lot of air into that thing because the pressure is pushing so much air, condensing it so much, it takes more air to begin to float you up. Atmosphere at 18 feet. Atmosphere at, atmosphere at 60 feet. Another atmosphere at 110 feet. It just keeps going and going. And as you're diving and you get down, you, you feel all that around you. It's not, it's not uncomfortable, but you can feel your scuba suit suddenly surrounding you in a way you don't want to think of when you have to go to the bathroom, for instance. You feel that becoming a part of you the deeper you go. Deepest I've ever been is 112 feet. That's the deepest I've ever been. 
at a shipwreck. It was amazing. But the pressure there is absolutely incredible. When this ocean's gate's going down and it begins to crack, there's no turning back. Even to ascend, it's going to take too long. Why? Because the process wasn't in place to make sure that the integrity of that ship could fulfill its purpose. And the people were unwilling to put that thing through the test required to make sure that it, made, it succeeded for what it was created to do. I want to tell you this today. What the Father's done for you and me is He's created this little thing called a forge. And that forge for you is wherever in the world you are right now. Wherever you exist. Some of you in this room right now, you feel the pressure. You feel like you're right in the middle of it. Some of you, you just came out of it for the glory of God. That's wonderful. Some of you are in it. Some of you, some of us maybe, are going in. Can I just tell you when you get to the forge, don't look for a different way. And when you're in the forge, don't look for the out. Let Him melt you with a fire. Let Him beat you with His hammer. And let Him form you with His press. So that when you come out of that thing, the whole earth is changed. Suddenly, you are the witness you thought you were going in. But 100% of the time, When we come out of the fire, when you or I come out of the forge and we've let the entire process do what it was supposed to do, 100% of the time, we become a witness of Christ. God's choice is that you and I submit to His process. Whether we understand it or not, faith is saying, Father, I trust You. I trust You. This is hard. This isn't going the way I thought it would. I trust You. I'm not going to blame 20 people. I'm going to say, do Your work. God's choice is that we make it through that process. And then it is our choice whether we move through that forge with hope of something greater or we step out of the forge prematurely and we are incomplete and unusable. If those Hebrew boys had come out of that fire early, if there was any way that they could have come out of that fire, in fact, if the door had been left open and they could have exited, I do not believe they would have. If they had come out prematurely, before Christ said, it's time, the demonstration has been made. If they had come out early, is there any possibility that the king would have said, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is God. I make this declaration. There is no chance. Because it would not have been seen as somebody who made it almost all the way. They would have been seen as someone who came up short. And would have, everybody around them would have questioned. They don't even believe they're God. Why should we? 
So choosing to remain in the forge until we have been equipped for the greater will always be worth the fire, the hammer, and the press. Put your hands on yourself and say this with me. I choose to embrace the fire. Say, I choose to embrace the hammer. And I choose to embrace the press. I'm in God's forge. And I will complete the process. Father, I thank you today. Stand with me.